the gospel reading today, we hear about authority, faith, and salvation. So I wanted to talk to you about those three things in the homily today. So a centurion comes to Jesus. This centurion is, of course, not Jewish. He is one of the occupying forces that keeps the peace in the Roman Empire. There were many centurions and Roman soldiers all over the empire, and they were generally distrusted, disliked, and, uh, and you know, take any worries you have about overreach of the police and magnify them like a hundred times, <laughs> then, you, then, then you've kind of got maybe a glimpse of, of how these people were generally, generally perceived. So he comes to Jesus and he says to him, Lord, my servant at home is, is sick. He's paralyzed, just can't, can't even get up. He's dreadfully tormented. Just, uh, and, and, and Jesus says immediately to him, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion's response is, no, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And Jesus, when he heard this, marveled. Jesus. God incarnate was astonished at this, marveling at this, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, no, not even in Israel. We'll pause there for a moment. Authority is a hard thing. I generally... Uh, most of us don't like authority being over exercised over us. I, as someone who finds myself in a position of authority, both in my family and in my work and in the church, I'm never particularly comfortable exercising it. However, it is necessary. And what the centurion reveals to us in his answer to Jesus is actually the proper God-intended exercise of this responsibility, the responsibility of authority. Because what is he asking Jesus to do? He's asking Jesus to exercise his God-given authority in a way that manifests healing and love. That's the point of authority. That is why authority is given to us as human beings. That is how authority needs to and ought to be exercised. The point of any kind of authority is to heal, to keep safe, is ultimately love. How did the centurion know this? How did he come to this realization? This is this deep understanding that Jesus was absolutely blown away by. Well, we don't know. But my guess is 
Well, he's a centurion. He's a man of war. He knows what it's like on the battlefield. On the battlefield, everything is confusion. If you're, if you're winning, it might be slightly more organized confusion on your end than on the other guy's end. Uh, but in that, into that confusion is exercised the discipline of military authority. And those who are looking over the battlefield, the generals, the commanders, uh, whoever's in authority over that particular army says to one unit, go there, and to another unit, do this, and to another unit, do that. Because he has the overall picture. And his goal is to win the battle for whatever reason. It might be a bad reason, or it could be a good reason. It could be they're protecting their homeland against barbarian invaders. Fairly common scenario in, in the Roman Empire. Um, uh, but, but the goal is to preserve as much of the life of your forces as possible in such and, and to marshal them and marshal that life force in such a way that, that victory is achieved. I, th I find this fascinating because on many levels, war is absolutely horrible, evil, uh, the, the ultimate manifestation of human failure. And yet we can learn so much from it. We can learn so much from this strategy. And we see all through the scriptures reference to, references to warfare, even spiritual warfare, uh, where we are to learn from this. And obviously the centurion had learned from this. And what the key lesson that he'd learned is that Authority is given by God to us to exercise for the good of those who are under us. We don't, we're pretty much, it's pretty much guaranteed that we as human beings are never going to exercise it perfectly. But if we are exercising it with the goal of the preservation of life, of healing, of love, then it is being exercised in a way that reveals the goodness of God. And it's for this reason that Jesus marvels and says, look, I have not found such great faith anywhere, not even in Israel. What is faith? We talk a lot about it. Uh, when, when I was growing up, uh, the reference verse was always Hebrews 11, verse 1. Uh, now, faith is the substance of things not seen, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, I think, actually, the definition of faith really comes in Hebrews 11, verse 6, where it says that he who comes to God must believe that he exists and is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words, in order to have faith, you must believe that God is and that he is good. And that's what the centurion understood. Because he understood authority, because he understood authority rightly, he understood that he was in the presence of one whose presence he was not worthy to receive, but who, was, who had ultimate authority, who could simply speak a word 
and his servant would be healed. That desire, that love that he had for his servant could be fulfilled by the single word of this man, Jesus. And so he says, just speak the word, just say, and my servant will be healed. He had faith. He knew that God existed, that God was good, that God was actually there in his presence, manifested in this man, Jesus, and all he had to do was speak the word and things would be set right. And Jesus was astonished at it. In fact, he said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel, and I say to you, that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a solemn warning that Jesus is delivering here. And it's a complete reversal of expectations for all of his Jewish audience here. Uh, the, the Jews understood that they were the inheritors of the word of God, the law of God, and, and that God was working in them because he had chosen them as his people. And all of that was true. But it doesn't actually guarantee salvation. And in fact, it's worth pointing out that this is the same understanding of being the people of God, of being the recipients of the revelation of God, is what defines us as his church. The whole word church means ecclesia, which was the Greek word used in the Septuagint to translate the assembly of the people of God. We are the continuation of this. We are the continuation of those who have been chosen by God to be his people, those who have received the revelation of God. This is a good thing. This is a blessing. But it is not a guarantee of salvation. We've actually just heard about this from the Apostle Paul. Just a couple of weeks ago, we, we read Romans chapter 2. And I wanted to read a little more of Romans chapter 2, just because it's, it's so key here to our understanding of, of how this works. So he says, well, begin Romans 2 verse 1. Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But know that the judgment of God is according to the truth, to, according to truth against those who practice such things. He's just listed a whole bunch of really horrible sins that, that, that people could that people who have rejected God fall into. Uh, and and so the, the, he's, he's saying, look, of course, your, your, your natural instinct at this point is to judge all those, hor all those people who have done all those horrible things. 
but you have no basis. You yourselves as human beings have no basis for judgment. And do you think, oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and you yourself doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the richness of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? This is the key, right? This is exactly what Jesus began his ministry by saying. Repent, for the kingdom of of, of God is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is here. The goodness of God leads uh, is intended to lead us to repentance but in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of god will render to each one according to his deeds eternal life to those who by patient continuance in doing good work uh, good in doing good seek for glory honor and immortality but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek. So he's talking here about the judgment of God and, and how it is going to be poured out uh, uh, and also the reward of God, how it is going to be poured out on uh, the, he says, those who, um, by patient continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immortality, they will receive the reward from God. But the judgment of those who, who, who um, are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they will receive God's indignation and his wrath, tribulation and anguish. Uh, and it's going to be poured out on everybody. On the Jew first, and also the Greek. Both the blessings will be poured out first upon those who have received the revelation from God, those who are the chosen people from God, of God, and the judgment will be poured out first on those, depending on how they responded, on what they did with what they received. So tribulation on every soul who does evil of the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God. For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And if as many as have sinned within the law will be judged by the law. So Paul here is talking primarily about the Jews in contrast to the Gentiles. The Jews are the ones who receive the law of God, the teachings of God. But again, this can be applied reasonably to us. We have received the revelation of Jesus Christ. And it says, Paul says, as many have sinned without the law, also perish for the law, who have sinned in the law, will be judged by the law. We are judged by what we know. For he says, not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. You can hear the law, you can hear the teachings of Christ as much as you like, but if you don't do them, they are worthless to you. They are worse than worthless 
they actually bring condemnation on you. Those of us who have received more are responsible for more. And then I love this bit. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when men, God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to the gospel. And I want to jump down to chapter 3, verse 1, because there's just one more bit that, that, that's amazing here. What advantage, then, has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision, which is the mark that uh, and every Jewish male had that identified him as a Jew? Much in every way. Because, of course, one of the things that, it naturally comes to mind when we hear this is, well, wait a second. If we're going to be judged more harshly, maybe it might not be, maybe it's not such a blessing to know this, right? So Paul is saying, what advantage is there? Much in every way, he says, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. We have the word of God spoken to us. This is a huge advantage, a huge blessing. Knowing the truth about the world around us as Christ has revealed it to us gives us a leg up, if you will, on those who are just fumbling around and trying to find out the truth. It is hard to find the truth. It's not impossible to live life without knowing certain truths. You know, as a, as a child, you maybe didn't know that the stove was hot and that if you touched it, you would get burned. But you know, you lived your life as a child, you know, without that knowledge, most of the time, just fine, you know, until one day you reached over to the stove and <laughs> laid your hand on it and ow, you got burned. You learn the hard way. We, as those who have been brought up by our Heavenly Father in the knowledge of the teachings of Christ, we know the stove is hot. Don't touch it. It's also very valuable for cooking food. Uh, so so there's, there's this advantage that we have simply by knowing what, how the world works, what it is like, how temptation works, how we can resist it, how we need to resist it because it is destructive to us. What is good? What is evil? All of these things are a great blessing. Yes, it is also a solemn responsibility that we have before God because by this knowledge, that we have received, we will also be judged. What did you do with this knowledge? But remember, God is good. He is merciful. He is kind. He is patient, not willing that any should perish, 
wanting all to come to salvation and the knowledge of, of the truth. He reached out to us. He gave us his son who became one of us so that we could know the truth about our human condition. Know the truth that God receives those who repent. And that as we repent, as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the foundation of our faith. And knowing that this is how God exercises his divine authority, we are able to say with the centurion, Lord, just speak the word and your servant will be healed. And Jesus does. He says to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. This is the God whom we worship and adore because he is good, because he loves us, because he understands our condition and has revealed to us the truth. We obey not simply because he is the judge, not simply because of fear, but out of love, responding to the love that God has so freely extended to us, so freely pours out upon us, so richly blesses us with every moment of every day. And yeah, we're messed up. We're broken. We're hurting. But as we recognize that, as we recognize those areas in which we have failed, as we recognize our helplessness, that we ourselves are lying paralyzed by sin on this bed of sickness and death, we call out to God in faith. Just speak a word and your servant will be healed. And he heals us to his glory, the glory of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, now and ever into ages of ages.